chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18 to verse 29. And it can be found on page 1009 in your pew Bibles. But we're going to be looking specifically at the verses 25 to 29. So let's give our attention to God's word. Hebrews 12, starting at uh, verse 18. And the heading is, A kingdom that cannot be shaken. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yes, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I'd like you to think back to when you were a child, or boys and girls, you can just be, or sort of be in the moment. The question I want to ask you is this, how did you wake up the, in the morning? In other words, was it an alarm clock? Is that what gets you out of bed, boys and girls? Or if we think of us in our younger years. Probably it was the voice of a parent that woke us up. I remember it was one of my parents that would, wake, would be the thing that woke us up. The first thing of the morning would be, time to get up, a shout that would keep going until we responded. Yes, we are up, even though we all knew it was a lie. We were firmly embedded yet under the covers. This text reminds us of that first phrase here, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Your parents' voice, you see, created a new reality when we were there in bed under the covers, there was a world before the voice. It was a world of sleep and dreams and warmth and comfort. But once the voice had spoken, that world was over with. That world was done. There was now a new reality created by the voice and a response was necessary. That voice carried an obligation to respond and certain penalties if we didn't respond. We live in a spoken to world 
We live in an addressed world. That's the central theme of this letter. Hebrews 1 verse 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. We live in a spoken to world and he has reminded us of, reminded us of this voice of God, this speech of God in verse 24. We've come to Jesus and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel so that that in Jesus there's a message that's being proclaimed in the sacrifice of Christ. A word has been spoken into this world. It is a word you can find summarized in John. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a profoundly significant message and there's an invitation that comes with that message that voice come and be saved all the ends of the earth seek ye the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts and turn to our God he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon those are the gospel invitations that God is speaking into this world and the promise is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God wants this world to know that he has opened a door in Jesus Christ for lost rebels, sinners, who are standing in the path of judgment to be rescued and everlastingly saved. That's the message that God wants to speak. It's a magnificent message. It's the most amazing, glorious good news in all the world. And the writer, his point as he wraps up the body of this letter is don't ignore it that's the main point see that you do not refuse him who is speaking and so let's begin looking first at a warning and then a promise and then a calling first a warning if this sounds like a warning it's because it is see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking you see the writer is speaking to this group of struggling believers who have lost so much and are so discouraged and he's reminding them they live in a spoken to world. They live having heard the voice of God through the gospel. Because of that they cannot allow the reality of their circumstances to become the overwhelming reality of their life so that they, so that they no longer hear the good news. They no longer hear the gospel. They no longer hear the voice of God. You see, one of the things that trials do is expose what we most highly value. It's what we grieve losing or fear losing. Those are the things that we most highly value. And we live, and we can live, you see, in a world where we're valuing these things. And it's not that they don't have any value but that we can be so focused on those things, living for those things, grieving those things, that we ignore the value of the gospel. You see, there's nothing that God more highly values than the sacrifice of his beautiful, perfect, obedient son, bearing the sins of man, so that we can be rescued from the wrath that we deserve. And that has an inestimable value and worth in the eyes of God. He sent his own son 
and sacrificed his own obedient son. And the blood of his son, you see, is an inestimable, precious to him. And so to ignore it, to forget it, to turn away from it in some way, to treat it like a small thing, is an incredible offence. When we say, I know, whether by our mouth or by actions, yes, I know Jesus died, I appreciate all that, however, these are the trials I'm facing. If God wants to be real to me, if God wants to help me, then I need a job. I need a better marriage. I need, I need whatever it might be. And we scorn the gospel. Husbands, your wedding anniversary is a valuable, weighty thing to your wife. She places great value on that. And she's convinced that you should be doing the same. And so if you do not do that, she's going to be offended. If you treat, you, if you treat your wedding anniversary as a small thing, she takes it personally. If you think it's an insignificant thing to remember and to celebrate, if it's not worthy of your time and interest, in the very same way God is offended by those who treat that which he esteems so highly as a small and significant thing. He loves his son with a fierce burning eternal love and the light and the glorious obedience and the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. God glorifies his son because he humbled himself before death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and God in a sense says to this world don't you dare despise or dishonor that which I highly esteem. God will not tolerate ongoing, unrepentant, dishonoring of his son. He's not going to do it. And the writer presses that point home unapologetically and very clearly in the following verse as he continues with verse 25. Don't refuse him who speaks. He establishes a fact and then applies it. The fact is, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He reminds them of an historical fact, that God brought the Israelites of old out of Egypt by his mighty gracious power. He lovingly brought them out of the hellish bondage of Egypt and he promised them to lead them to the land that he would give them, the land of milk and honey, where they would dwell with their God, sort of a recreated Eden all by the grace of God. He gathered them at Mount Sinai and said, here's the context of this covenant that I'm making with you. And if you obey my voice, and if you keep my commands, then these all are, are all the things that I promised you. But they refused his voice. They grumbled. They complained. I mean, Egypt was nice and all that. We want meat and we want about the leeks and the onions we had back in Egypt. That would be better. You just lead us out here to die. They didn't trust God. They doubted his word. They ignored his voice. When God said, go into the land, the spies came back and ten of them said, there's no way we're going, to, going over there. They're like giants there. Only two of them said, who cares if there are giants there? God brought us out of Egypt. He can bring us into the land. And yet the people listened to the ten spies. And what happened? God sentenced them all to death. The whole lot of them. Every person over 20 years of age was sentenced to die in the wilderness and they would never see the land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, were saved. Then the writer applies it and this is the point. 
If that's what happened to those who refused to listen to God's voice when God spoke from earth, how much less will we escape him who speaks to us from heaven? He's talking about we're gathered to Mount Zion. We have a greater message, messenger, Jesus Christ, who speaks a greater message, the gospel. Vastly greater privileges are ours. Vastly greater ability we can enter in. We can draw near to God. But if we refuse that message, how will we escape? You see, if God was angry and condemned those who ignored the lesser message, how will we escape if we ignore the greater message? There is no chance whatsoever that we will escape the divine eternal wrath of God if we receive the message and refuse it or ignore it. Now that's the message that needs to be heard because it's a reality that we seem blindly unaware of. People walk away from the church and walk away from orthodox faith or obedient faith or even just away from the Lord as if they're going to Kmart. It's just not a big deal. It's a life choice decision that they've made and we're expected just to stand back and honour that decision. And people recognise it. It might offend some people. It might make mum and dad unhappy. But I need to live my life as if that were all there is to consider. There might be some of you sitting here this afternoon and you know in your heart that you really don't really believe this stuff. It doesn't really concern you whether or not your life is in keeping with the word of God or whether or not you have a relationship with God and it just doesn't seem to be a big deal. And maybe you know in your heart that you don't really have a relationship with God that actually is changing you, is humbling you, and making you run to Christ, relying on his grace. You grieve for your sin, but you're sitting here comfortably in your unbelief, maybe even a little bit proud of your unbelief, that you're your own person. Well, friend, God has a word for you. Do we remember how Jesus responded to the unbelief of the Jews? You see, they had the message of God, the word of God, right in their midst. And yet they didn't believe. And Jesus says, Woe to you! Woe to you! If the miracles that I have performed in your midst had been done in the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in dust and ashes a long time ago. It will have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. This is Jesus, meek and mild, just speaking truth. It will be better. You're going to wish you lived in Sodom, not in Bethsaida, because in Bethsaida you had Jesus right in front of you and you didn't believe it. That's what Jesus says. You see, the idea that God is angry with those who refuse to hear his voice just doesn't seem to occur to people. We've got in our day and age a vision of God that doesn't include a consuming fire. We've got a vision of God that does not include anger. A vision of God that doesn't include judgment. Who is God that he should have the audacity to judge us for not believing in him? Well, he's God. Who's not just spoken a message, but he has spoken a gospel message and sacrificed his own son on the cross to rescue us from our rebellion and sin so we do not have to experience everlasting condemnation. And he is rightly offended if we think that a small thing, that a small thing, 
and unworthy of our time and intention. Remember one of the things that happened in the early church? Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You can pick it up in Acts chapter 5. If you just need to be reminded, it's an astonishing story. Here's this couple in the church. There's a sort of a fund going on for poor people and some people were selling property and bringing their money to the elders, the apostles, so that it could be dispersed to the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to do that. And so they sell their property and they bring their money to Peter. And Peter says, uh, is this the amount you got for the property? And they say, yes. And well, it wasn't the amount they got for the property. They had made a little more, but they thought to enhance their reputation, they would pretend it was the whole chunk. And Peter looks at Ananias and says, Ananias, why have you determined in your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? And Ananias falls over dead. And his wife wonders what happened to him. She trots in and Peter says, Sapphira, the gift that you gave, was that the whole amount? She says, yes, it was. And he said, the feet of the young men who just took out your husband are coming to take you out. And she falls over dead. Now that is not, it's just not a 21st century vision of God. Great fear, we read, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. You see, God, friends, is not ashamed. God is not ashamed to be angry with sin. God is not ashamed to promise to punish sinners. He is not ashamed. We don't have to make excuses for him. He's not ashamed of his holiness. He never apologizes for his righteousness, ever. In fact, he wants us to know about it so that we might sense the danger we're in and flee to Jesus Christ, the one who has provided for our rescue. But he wants us to know he's serious about these things. So why did I obey the voice of my parents calling me out of this nice warm bed on a dark, cold winter morning to go out and do chores? Well, in large part, because I discovered that when I failed to obey, it did not go well, ever. And so, see, that's a good lesson to learn. God wants us to learn. Why should we respond to the gospel with sincerity and earnestness, with zeal? Because, you see, if we don't respond, it's not going to go well. God promises that. He's willing, you see, to threaten us in order to save us. That's the truth about our God. Now, the text goes on, and we need to move on as well. There's a promise here, and not just a threat, a promise And the writer tells us that God has promised not only to shake the earth, but also the heavens in verse 27. To shake the things that have been made, creation, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He promised, you see, to engage the lost world and to shake things up up a bit so that the things that are steadfast and sure will remain. He's going to clean the place up, he promised to do that. It's good news. Don't you want to get cleaned up? Aren't you tired of sickness? Aren't you tired of weakness? And tired of failure and sin and despair and darkness and death? Aren't you sick of all those things? Aren't you tired of rebellion against the living God? Well, Peter says, the Lord is going to return. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works done on it will be exposed. It's all going to be laid bare. It's going to be shaken. This creation is transient. It's passing. And when Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven, then all of the weakness and the sin and the rebellion and the failure and the fall 
and the curse, all of it's going to be wrapped up like an old garment and thrown out. Why? So that what is lasting may remain. God's getting rid of all that evil so that what is good and true and honourable and praiseworthy and righteous and glorious will stand beautifully now adorned by the holiness of God revealed before all the world for what it is, God's own city, brilliant in its holiness and brilliant in its beauty and we're going to be part of it. That's the promise. That's the incredible promise. You see, he's taken this small struggling church in the middle of their hard painful, distressing circumstance and he's just blowing open the horizon of their perspective saying, yes, it is hard the discipline of the Lord is painful at the time I know that but you've got to see the big picture the big picture is that this world and everything in it is transient and fleeting, it's passing and you belong to something that cannot be shaken the kingdom of God the heavenly city. Therefore, a calling. Therefore, on the basis of all that, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I just want you to sense the audacity of this. How do you go to people who've lost their homes, lost their property, lost their jobs, they've lost their reputation, they've lost their standing, they've lost their family, they've lost everything that this world counts valuable, How do you go to those people and with a straight face look them in the eye and say I want you to be grateful because that will offend people. You want me to be grateful for everything we've lost? Well he doesn't say be be grateful for everything we've lost. He says be grateful for everything you have gained because what you have gained is a kingdom that cannot be shaken To receive a kingdom means that you have received the crown of the king or prince and all the status and all the glory and the honour that belongs to that. And that's the message throughout the Bible. That one day, you and I, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, all the weakness and the dishonour and the shame that clings to us is all going to go away. We're going to be robed with honour We're going to be beautified with holiness. We're going to be weighted with glory. The glory and the honour and the beauty of Jesus given to you. You're not going to be in heaven just a slightly better, more moral version of yourself. You're going to be radically, gloriously transformed into a version of yourself you've never imagined. We don't know what what it's like to have what glory feels like or to be full of honour and weight and beauty. We don't know what those things are in their truth, but that's what's coming. That's what's promised. So let us be grateful. Let us be grateful. We deserve that. Do we deserve to be so identified with Jesus Christ that angels will be tempted to bow down and worship us? Do we deserve that inheritance? Do we deserve that future, that kingdom? No, we don't. And so what do we say? We say, thank you. Thank you, God, Father, for rescuing me from the bondage to to death and sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking that truth to me and giving me ears to hear. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Grateful, you see, 
is not a duty. It's what happens when you wake up and see what God has done for you. And then worship. Let us worship. Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is a challenging text because we, uh, when we think of consuming fire, we think run. At least you should think that, right? I mean, consuming fire is dangerous. Consuming fire can hurt you. Well, that is not what we're meant to think here. The writer is not saying to us, now remember when you come to worship, I want you to be afraid. Be very afraid because God's going to get you. That's not what he's saying. He just told them in chapter 10, let us now draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's go right into the holy place where no one is allowed. Let's go right in there because Jesus Christ has blown open the way and you are welcome now to come into the very most holy place of the living God with confidence. So let us draw near with confidence. So why is he reminding us of a consuming fire then? Because you see the consuming fire is not a fearful, terrifying, runaway reality. It's a glorious, beautiful, praise God reality. It's something to celebrate. You see, it just means that God is righteous and you should love it that God is righteous and God is holy and you should delight in that God is holy. And he has a passion for his glory that will consume everything that is at war with his glory, at war with his honor, at war with his truth. Praise God that he's not fickle about his glory. Praise God that there's a consuming, firing passion about God concerning these things. Because God is that. He's not safe. We need to acknowledge that exactly. As C.S. Lewis says in The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe concerning Aslan, He's not safe. Well, of course he's not safe. He's not safe. He's not tame. He's not our pet. He's a lion. But he's good. He's astonishingly good. And to say, let us worship with reverence and with awe, it just means let not be flippant and fickle about the worship of our God. Whether it's happening in public assembly or whether it's happening at home as you worship the Lord in the day-to-day details of your life, is it a flippant, casual sort of reality in my life? The sort of, sort of bleeds through all my dealings with God? Am I flippant about spending time with the Lord? Am I flippant about obeying the Lord? Am I casual about what I watch or what I say or what I do? Has my God been tamed for me? And so my casual, flippant attitude pervades all of my life? Well, wake up. Your God's a consuming fire. It's a verse about the reality of God and then the calling for you and I to respond to that reality. That glorious reality of God with reverence and awe that we respond to God as he is, not the God that we may have created or become comfortable with in our own mind. The fact that God is a consuming fire, you see, does wonderful things for us. It is a wonderful help to us. God, as he will do several things. One, he will drive you to love Jesus Christ and delight in the salvation of God. God has made a way that his holiness need not consume you. That's the gospel. It need not consume you. Jesus Christ is the one who came willingly to suffer the fire, to suffer the wrath in your place, bearing your sin so that you don't have to. But friend, hear me well. If you ignore that message... If you ignore that shelter, where will you hide 
on the day of judgment. There is no other place to run. This is the day of grace and the voice of God is speaking today because now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, don't refuse the voice of God that speaks the gospel. Don't refuse. Respond. What's the next step in your life right now? What's that response going to look like? Is it going to look like repentance? Is it going to look like humbling yourself? Is it going to look like some of you making profession of faith where you say, I'm going to take this seriously? This is my God. This is my faith. I'm going to profess it. He's asking you to trust in him. It clears away the fog caused by wilderness. If you're just comfortable living in this world that's passing away these transient things, a world that's at war with God, this message says, wake up. You don't belong in this passing world. If you are a Christian, you belong to a world that cannot be shaken. So don't make your home here. You belong to greatness and glory. Wake up to it. If you remember, God spoke twice audibly during the ministry of Jesus, didn't he? Jesus spoke the words of God. Every word the Father gave him, Jesus said. But God the Father himself spoke twice. And he said the same thing both times. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listen to him. May God give us the grace to do so. Let us pray.